Hey, welcome back to Doctrine and Covenants um, with Mom and Terry. This is Linda Weiniger. Um, we are going to read Doctrine and Covenants chapter 18 and 19. And just to give you a little background on Doctrine and Covenants chapter 18, um, it is a revelation given to Joseph Smith. And I guess Joseph, Oliver, and David had questions about how to start um, how to start the church, but because they've never done that, obviously, um, the Lord, you know, told Joseph Smith that he couldn't join any church, but he didn't at the time tell him like, but by the way, you're going to be starting it. So just, you know, throw that in the back of your mind. Um, but so this is like the first, um, kind of like account or not the first time that they realize like, oh, we have to do this, but then how do they, how do we go about doing this? Because, you know, we've never done this before. So, um, they, they just didn't know what to do. So this is a revelation, um, directed to Oliver Cowdery and it instructs him to turn to the book of Mormon to see how the Lord's church should be built up. Uh, because, um, you know, Joseph Smith, he didn't, he's never written, um, articles of, uh, starting a church or things like that. And so, um, so this is what it is. And this is the revelation that they gave. Um, and so we're going to get into that. Um, but I did want to mention a couple things that I was able to learn here from, um, from redheaded hostess. And I did learn some things from, the follow him podcast, but I can't remember what it is now because it's been so long and it's sad because I know that it was really good. So, um, so yeah, so I wish that I could remember because, but right now my brain is just so, so fogged up. Um, and it probably because of the fact that I, this is, I'm already like two days into the new reading and I'm kind of behind and I've been feeling a little bit off and it's probably because I need to read this sooner, um, than later. So, and I haven't been able to read as much because I've wanted to read this portion, but it's hard to get away. And when I do get away, I just want to take a nap anyway, uh, because little baby girl, she's so cute and you just want to snuggle her and that's it. And you know, um, and I can't really read when I'm with her. Uh, well, I mean, I can, I just can't read out loud, right? Because um, we're trying to be quiet or we're doing something else or people are asking me questions. So it's just, and then we have the white noise and it's not good for uh, recording. So anyways, um, and then it also talks about um, the the Lord telling Oliver and David to start searching for men who could be called as the 12 apostles. Um, and this search took six years. And I think that's kind of cool because if you think about it, um, some of the future apostles were actually teenagers at the time that this revelation was given. Um, because like Lyman Johnson was 23 at the time he got called to be an apostle. And John F. Boynton was also 23. Orson Pratt was 23. William Smith was 23. Um, and I mean, Luke Johnson, Parley P. Pratt were 27. Um, at the time they were called, so six years before that, they were just 21, right? So these, these men who 
they were looking for, I mean, it's no wonder it took them six years because these guys had to like mature a little bit, you know? Um, it's like, you can't call somebody when they're like 18 to be an apostle, I guess. So I think that was kind of cool that they outlined that. Um, and then another part uh, or another scripture that I really like is, um, Doctrine, Doctrine and Covenants 18 verse 10, where the Lord says, remember the worth of souls is great in the sight of God. It's just awesome. Um, he's trying to help them understand that the worth of souls is great. Um, and yeah, well, you know, let's just get into it and that way, um, we'll be able to, to see what, where we're at and maybe some of the things that I'm reading will spark some of those ideas or uh, things that they told me about. But it is 930 at night, so I need to make sure that I am keeping an eye or keeping an ear out for Flora. because She is going to wake up any minute, but I needed to read this. So, okay, section 18, Revelation to Joseph Smith, the prophet, Oliver Cowdery, and David Whitmer, given at Fayette, New York, June 1829. According to the prophet, this revelation made known the calling of 12 apostles in these last days and also instructions relative to building up the church. One to five scriptures show how to build up the church. Six to eight, the world is ripening in iniquity. Nine to 16, the worth of souls is great. 17 to 25, gain, to gain salvation, men must take upon themselves the name of Christ. 26 to 36, the calling and mission of the 12 are revealed. 37 to 39, Oliver Cowdery and David Whitmer are to search out the 12. 40 to 47, to gain salvation, men must repent, be baptized, and keep the commandments. Okay. Um, now behold, because of the thing which you, my servant, Oliver Cowdery, have desired to know of me, I give unto you these words. Behold, I have manifested unto you by my spirit in many instances that the things which you have written are true. Um, these are like the things that Oliver has been scribing during the translation. Wherefore, you know that they are true. And if you know that they are true, behold, I give unto you a commandment that you rely upon the things which are written. For in them... What do you think that could mean in them in what? The Book of Mormon are all things written concerning the foundation of my church, my gospel and my rock. Wherefore, if you shall build up my church upon the foundation of my gospel and my rock, the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Behold, the world is ripening in iniquity and it must needs be that the children of men are stirred up unto repentance, both the Gentiles and also the house of Israel. Um, I like that they pointed out that ripen means to approach or to approach or come to perfection or to mature um so the world was approaching perfect iniquity that's sad. that's super sad um but the lord knew what was coming and that all men needed to be stirred up to repentance stirred stirred means to be moved so you will go into action satan uses the same method um the words people to follow them or the same method too. the words stirred up are used many times in the book of Mormon um, to show how evil men convince men convinced uh, people to follow them. Those who stole the lost manuscripts were stirred up by Satan, etc. So stirring up can be used for good or evil, right? Um Okay, uh, verse 7. Wherefore, as thou hast been baptized by the hands of my servant Joseph Smith Jr., according to that which I have commanded him, he hath fulfilled the thing which I have which I commanded him. And now marvel not that I have called him unto mine own purpose, which purpose is known in me. Wherefore, if he shall be diligent in keeping my commandments, he shall be blessed unto eternal life. And his name is Joseph. 
And now, Oliver Cowdery, I speak unto you and also unto David Whitmer by the way of commandment. For behold, I command all men everywhere to repent. And I speak unto you, even as Paul, mine apostle, for you are called even with that same calling with which he was called. Remember, the worth of souls is great in the sight of God. Um, for behold, the Lord, your Redeemer, suffered death in the flesh, wherefore he suffered the pain of all men, that all men might repent and come unto him. And he hath risen again from the dead, that he might bring all men unto him uh, on conditions of repentance. And now, and how great is his joy in the soul that repenteth. Wherefore you are called to cry repentance unto this people. And remember last time I explained what repentance was, or at least um, the definition in the Bible dictionary, and it was a fresh view of God, the world, and yourself, right? Um, so it was to help other people and to help yourself understand that and how repentance also means to turn again, to turn back. Um, when we repent, we turn back to Christ. We are changing, right? We're having that fresh view. Um, and if it so be that you should labor all your days in crying repentance unto this people and bring save it be one soul unto me, how great shall be your joy with him in the kingdom of my father. And now if your joy will be great with one soul that you have brought unto me into the kingdom of my father, how great will be your joy if you should bring many souls unto me? Um, behold, you have my gospel before you and my rock and my salvation. Ask the father in my name. In, in, or in my name, in faith, believing that you shall receive and you shall have the Holy Ghost, which manifesteth all things which are expedient unto the children of men. And if you have not faith, hope, and charity, you cannot, you can do, you can do nothing. Contend against no church, save it be the church of the devil. Take upon you the name of Christ and speak the truth in soberness. Um, soberness means like seriousness or calmness. And as many as repent and are baptized in my name, which in is Jesus Christ and endure to the end the same shall be saved behold Jesus Christ is the name which is given of the father and there is none other name given whereby man can be saved wherefore all men must take upon them the name which is given if of the father for in that name shall they be called at the last day wherefore if they know not the name by which they are called they cannot have place in the kingdom of my father and now behold there were there are others who are called to declare my gospel both unto gentile and unto jew Yea, even twelve, and the twelve shall be my disciples, and they shall take upon them my name. And the twelve are they whom, who shall desire to take upon them my name with full purpose of heart. And if they desire to take upon them my name with full purpose of heart, they are called to go into all the world to preach my gospel unto every creature. So this is, um, he's from 26, he's talking about the future twelve apostles. And number 29, and they are they who are ordained of me to be to be to baptize in my name according to that which is written and you have that which is written before you wherefore you must perform in according to the word you must perform it according to the words which are written and now i speak unto you the 12 behold my grace is sufficient for you you must walk uprightly before me and sin not so he was basically uh giving an outline of what the 12 apostles um need to do need to focus on um, and because the souls are of such great worth, the Lord was not just calling Joseph, Oliver, and David. He was going to call 12 uh, apostles. So these 12 apostles will go into all the world to preach his gospel unto every creature. Um, 
And there are requirements for those who serve as the 12 apostles that they must walk uprightly before the Lord and take upon themselves the Lord's name with full purpose of heart. Um, I, and this is a quote from Gene R. Cook. And he says, as I had the opportunity as, wait, as I have had opportunity over the years to be among the brethren, the one distinguishing characteristic that seems to be found in all of them, as well as in other spiritual leaders, is their intense desire to take upon them the name of the Lord with full purpose of heart, a desire to serve the Lord above all else at any cost. I think that was really cool. Um, And it's true. I think that that's the message that I get from the apostles when I hear them speak. And I love like the, um, that you can just know that they love you. Like you can feel that from the Lord, that love. Um, okay. And then 32 and behold, you are, and behold, you are they who are ordained of me to ordain priests and teachers and to declare my gospel according to the power of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, and according to the callings and gifts of God unto men. And I, Jesus Christ, your Lord and your God, have spoken it. These words are not of men, nor of man, but of me. Wherefore, you shall testify they are of me and not of man. For it is my voice which speaketh them unto you, for they are given by my spirit unto you and by my power. And you can read them one to another, and save it were by my power, you could not have them. Wherefore, you can testify that you have heard my voice and know my words. And now behold, I give unto you Oliver Cowdery and also unto David Whitmer, that you shall search out the twelve who shall have the desires of which I have spoken. And by their desires and their works, you shall know them. And when you have found them, shall... And when you have found them, you shall show these things unto them and you shall fall down and worship the father in my name. Like, how cool would that be to be like, hey, uh, by the way, I was looking for you. So this is a message for you from the Lord. (laughs) I just wanted to let you know that that you're called, you know, Um, and these guys were so young, you know, and they didn't know anything about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they were all learning um, similar to our children now, our children are learning and, and he's basically calling these men, you know, Oliver Cowdery and David Whitmer to be missionaries to find the 12, but also like, as you're looking for people like that, you're, you're preaching, right? Um, and you're searching. So anyways, cause it's like by their works, you shall know them, right? Um, 39 and then, oh, uh, 40. And you shall fall down and worship the Father in my name. Okay, 41. And you must preach unto the world, saying, you must repent and be baptized in the name of Christ. See right there. For all men must repent and be baptized. And not only men, but women and children who have arrived at the years of accountability. And now after that you have received this, you must keep my commandments in all things. And by your hands I will work a marvelous work among the children of men, unto the convincing of many of their sins, that they may come unto repentance, and that they may come unto the kingdom of my Father. Wherefore, the blessings which I give unto you are above all things. And after that you have received this, if you keep my command. If you keep not my commandments, you cannot be saved in the kingdom of my Father. Behold, I, Jesus Christ, your Lord and your God and your Redeemer, by the power of my Spirit, have spoken it. Amen. Um, I just love this because it's it it outlines exactly like what missionaries need to do as well. Um, not just the twelve apostles. You know, we take upon, and not even missionaries, but like all members, right? We take upon us the name of Christ and we're trying to be good examples and we're trying to do what Christ, um, did and would do if he were here. So 
it's not just for the 12 apostles. I think it's something that we need to learn for ourselves as well. Um, but I think first, if you remember, Oliver and David got revelation from the Lord knowing so they know who they are and then the Lord teaches them that they need to go out and teach people and bring them and teach them about repentance. So it's not just like, hi, let's go repent or let's go teach people before we know who we are. It's it's actually first we need to know who we are and whose we are. And then once we know we are God's children, once we know the Lord loves us, once we know the Lord knows us then we're capable of anything. And once we're capable of anything, when the Lord gives us these kinds of instructions and commandments, it doesn't, it doesn't phase us. It doesn't scare us to know like, oh, I need to go share this message. You know, it should excite us. It should give us joy. It should make us super happy to be able to share the same message with other people. Um, a quote from President Nelson, he says, sometimes we as learners of the church or leaders of the church are criticized for holding firm to the laws of God, defending the Savior's doctrine and resisting the social pressures of our day. But our commission as ordained apostles is to go into all the world to preach his gospel unto every creature. That means we are commanded to teach truth. In doing so, sometimes we are accused of being uncaring as we teach the the Father's requirements for exaltation in the celestial kingdom. But wouldn't it be far more uncaring for us not to tell the truth, not to teach what God has revealed? It is price, precisely because we do care deeply about all of God's children that we proclaim his truth. We may not always tell people what they want to hear. Prophets are rarely popular, but we always teach the truth. Okay, we're going to move on to Doctrine and Covenants section 19. Um, a little bit of background on that one. Um, it's, let's see, the Book of Mormon was now completed and, um, they were working on trying to get the book, uh, the Book of Mormon printed. Um, so between April and June of 1829, in as little as 65 to 72 working days, they finished, uh, translating the Book of Mormon and it was at a rate of like seven to eight pages a day. Um, so that's pretty impressive. And then in um, it fills about 588 page book. And the translation includes many consistent geographical locations, geologies, Hebrew writing, structures, names with Egyptian and Hebrew roots, symbolism, consistent and deep doctrines, complex writing structures, ancient ways of life, and so much more. Um, and then 70% of the Book of Mormon was translated in Harmony, Pennsylvania, and then 30% of the Book of Mormon was translated in Fayette, New York. Now, remember, that was because there was a lot of persecution, so they needed to, uh, they needed to move the translation. Um, so, Joseph wanted to print 5,000 copies and that is like a huge, enormous amount of books for back then. Um, so they started looking for a printer who could print the translation um, and they found that nobody would do it except, uh, well, they went to this guy, E.B. Grandin, and he. it's because they didn't think the Book of Mormon would sell. That's why nobody would agree because back then you had to like... Uh, well, I mean, I guess even now, like publishers and printers, um, 
they don't want to publish a book that they don't think is going to sell, right? So because they take like a cut from a, or a percent, percentage of um, the book sales. So E.B. Grandin, they went to him and he said, no, thanks. And then um, they kept looking and they found somebody else in New York that would print it. And then they went back to E.B. Grandin and said, hey, by the way, we found somebody else in New York. Um, are you sure you don't want to print it? And he said, okay, actually I will print it. So then, um, he said that he would print it. Also, he was a 23 year old entrepreneur. So that's pretty awesome. Um, so he decided to do it. Uh, but because he thought it was still too risky, he wanted his 3000, he charged them more for the printing. So it was $3,000 and he wanted it paid up front. Um, and so, he would like, and he said that he could do it within 18 months, right? Or maybe that's when they wanted it, um, done by, I don't know. Um, but they, so E.B. Grannon agreed to do it. However, that meant that, um, poor Martin Harris, because he was like the only one that could afford to, you know, fork up that kind of investment dollars, uh, towards the Book of Mormon. Um, it was really hard, but Martin, you know, was so excited that he was like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll, you know, I'll do the, I'll mortgage my farm. And I think, you know, out of his excitement, maybe (laughs) he didn't quite realize they were going to need all the money up front, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. But anyway, so this is what, set how section 19 came about because originally Martin told Joseph that he would mortgage the farm to pay for the Book of Mormon but then when it came time to actually sign it over and mortgage it Martin kind of he he became concerned um and so because I mean that's like a lot of money for them and specifically because poor Martin was having trouble with his wife you know so this is just gonna put oh excuse me more strain on their marriage. Um, and so, yeah. So anyway, so this is the Lord. And then this is when the Lord actually, uh, is going to talk about his own sacrifice that he made, um, in first person. And I think, um, what everybody's telling me from all the different, um, scripture podcasts and, and research that I was doing, it says that this is the only place that the Lord, um, talks about his atonement for us in first person. And he does that to help, um, persuade Martin to make the sacrifice that he needs to make as well. Um, so I thought that was really cool. Um, and then another thing that I thought was cool was that, um, by March 1830, the book was for sale in the Grannon bookstore, but it didn't sell, right? Um, and he was trying to sell the book in a manner that was, like, kind of normal, like you put in a bookstore. Um, but that's not how it was going to reach the world, right? How do how do people get a hold of the Book of Mormon? Right, from missionaries. And so on April 6, 1830, the church was organized and missionaries then purchased copies to take as they preach the gospel. So today people can actually get a free Book of Mormon, obviously. Um, but but back then, um, they didn't have the financial means to give those books away for free. So people, you know, had to kind of pay for it to help recoup the costs for Martin. 
And so the missionaries did sell the books, but it was was not enough. And Martin was forced to sell his 151-acre farm to settle the debt. The books did eventually sell, and Martin was paid in full. So how grateful are we that Martin made that sacrifice, right? Um, And then something else is kind of cool. Well, I think it would be cool to go uh, check out or look up um, the Book of Mormon printing press because that way you could see a video of like um, how the Book of Mormon was printed originally. And it is is pretty cool how they did it. Um, But then this is something really cool fact. So the printer's manuscript stayed with Oliver Cowdery and was later owned by the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in 2017. Okay, that is just... Let's see, 2017, 18, 19, 20, 21, four years ago, okay, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints purchased the printer's manuscript for $35 million. What? Isn't that crazy? Um, So the original printers didn't think the book would ever sell, but it turns out just the handwritten manuscript alone was um, that they were in possession of would be worth millions and millions of dollars. Anyways, I think that's really cool. Um, And when you first think about it, you're like, oh, wow, I can't even believe that they would pay for that, right? Like maybe because that's a lot of money and you think like, well, they already have the copy of the Book of Mormon, right? But it's so meaningful and um, to our heritage and to the Lord, right? And so I think um, in 2017, I looked it up, there were uh, over 16 million members and so basically I calculated if we were to ask each member who pays tithing well I guess this is just hoping or counting on that every member does pay tithing um, but if we were to count every member and they and contacted every member and they paid two to three dollars each person then it would be enough to pay for the manuscript but like who wouldn't pay that right I was thinking I would totally pay that like if somebody contacted me from the church and was like hey we're trying to buy the original manuscript or the um the printer's manuscript from you know whoever has it and wanted to see if you'd be willing to donate two to three dollars for this cause and I'd be like um yeah and I'd put me down for like 10 bucks or 20 bucks, you know? So like they probably would have got there a lot sooner than having to call every member. But I thought that that would be, or I thought that that was really cool that they actually um, now own the original printer's manuscript that Oliver Cowdery had. So anyway, um, and then another fun, some more fun facts. The Book of Mormon has never been out of print. And in October, 2020, it was reported that 192 million copies of the Book of Mormon had been printed. In 2017, the full book had been translated into 90 languages. And in 2017, the Brethren approved more languages for the full translation, bringing the total to 115 languages. Um, So anyways, that's pretty cool, right? Okay, so obviously I is spoiled, spoiler, um, because I totally uh, told you what happened. But obviously we already know because we have the Book of Mormon printed in our hands. But anyway, so um, I'm just going to read the Doctrine and Covenants now because we are ready for that. So the revelation given through Joseph Smith 
at Manchester, New York, likely in the summer of 1829. In in his history, the prophet introduces it as a commandment of God and not of man to Martin Harris, given by him who is eternal. One to three, Christ has all power. Four to five, all men must repent or suffer. Oh, excuse me. Six to twelve, eternal punishment is God's punishment. Thirteen to twenty, Christ suffered for all, that they might not suffer if they would repent. Twenty-one to twenty-eight, preach the gospel of repentance. Twenty-nine to forty-one, declare glad tidings. Oh, they said the word repent a lot of times, just even in that like um, <laughs> review. Okay, um, verse one: I am Alpha and Omega, Christ the Lord. Yea, even I am He, the beginning and the end of the Redeemer of the world. That's a sweet intro. I having accomplished and also, um, do we say those things about ourselves? Do, do we, like when we present ourselves, do, are we like that confident, like the Lord, you know, just kind of goes to show you, like, we need to have more confidence and introduce ourselves like, you know, like that. (laughs) Cause that would have serious power. Um, I having accomplished and finished the will of him whose I am, even the father concerning me, having done this, that I might subdue all things unto myself, retaining all power, even to the, even to the destroying of Satan and his works at the end of the world and the last great day of judgment, which I shall pass upon the inhabitants thereof, judging every man according to his works and the deeds which he hath done. I don't know if you caught that, but it looks like the Lord is already telling us that he's destroying Satan at the end of the world. Can we have that confidence? Can we say, hi, I am Linda Weiniger, a daughter of God, I almost said son, (laughs) and I'm going to destroy Satan. Just have the confidence to know that I'm going to destroy Satan today would be awesome, right? And maybe we need to add that into our affirmations, our daily affirmations, so that we can, you know, have that assurity. Uh, just like the Lord, but that's just awesome. I love the Lord. He's the best, right? Okay. Um, number four, and surely every man must repent or suffer for I, God am endless. Wherefore I revoke not the judgments, which I shall pass, but woes shall go forth, weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. Yea, to those who are found on my left hand. Nevertheless, it is not written that there shall be no end to this torment, but it is written endless torment. Again, it is written eternal damnation wherefore it is more expressed than other scriptures that it might work upon the hearts of the children of men altogether for my name's glory wherefore i will explain unto you this mystery for it is me unto you to know even as mine apostles i speak unto you that are chosen in this thing even as one that you may enter into my rest for behold the mystery of godliness how great it is for behold i am endless and the punishment which is given from my hand is endless punishment for endless is my name. Wherefore eternal punishment is God's punishment. Endless punishment is God's punishment. Wherefore I command you to repent and to keep the commandments, which you have received by the hand of my servant, Joseph Smith Jr. In my name. And it is by my almighty power that you have received them. Therefore, I command you to repent. Repent, lest I smite you by the rod of my mouth and by my wrath and by my anger and your sufferings be sore. How sore you know not, how exquisite you know not, yea, how hard to bear you know not. Okay, um, so right here where he talks about eternal punishment is God's punishment and endless punishment is God's punishment. So, um... He's not talking about how 
we're going to have endless torment or eternal damnation like that it's going to last forever but that it's because of him that it's called um endless and eternal because that's his name and the torment that we are meant to have is just going to be enough to help us change right and once we are changed what does he say to us that we are um that we can come unto him right once we repent that's what he's saying and but if we don't then we're not gonna know how bad it's gonna be because we we can't understand how much uh he suffered for us and so that's why he says how sore you know not how exquisite you know not yea how hard to bear you know not like we might think we might know a little bit of something because we've been here on earth and yeah it's hard but we don't know at all what it's like um and there's a quote here by James E. Talmadge, and he says, No man will be kept in hell longer than is necessary to bring him to a fitness for something better. When he reaches that stage, the prison doors will open and there will be rejoicing among the hosts who welcome him into a better state. And that was a conference report from April 1930. Isn't that cool? Okay, verse 16. For behold, I, God, have suffered these things for all, that they might not suffer if they would repent. But if they would not repent, they must suffer even as I. Okay, so this is the first person description of his suffering right here in verse 18. Which suffering caused myself, even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of pain and to bleed at every pore and to suffer both body and spirit and would that I might not drink the bitter cup and shrink. Nevertheless, glory be to the Father. And I partook and finished my preparations unto the children of men. Wherefore, I command you again to repent, lest I humble you with my almighty power, and that you confess your sins, lest you suffer these punishments of which I have spoken, of which in the smallest, yea, even in the least degree, you have tasted at the time I withdrew my spirit. And I commanded you that you preach not but repentance, and show these things unto the world until it is wisdom in me. For they cannot bear meat now, but milk they must receive. Wherefore, they must not know these things, lest they perish. <laughs> um, this is interesting. Just number 22, I just realized, um, because I'm nursing Flora, it makes sense. For they cannot bear meat now. Like the hefty food, you can't bear that right now. And she can't bear that right now. But milk, she must receive. That's what they said. So... It's like milk is like easier to process, easier to digest. And so that's that's kind of cool how he put that in there. Okay, learn of me and listen to my words. Walk in the meekness of my spirit and you shall have peace in me. Okay, hold on, back up. So I'm just getting some more ideas here on that meat and milk. Well, technically... After milk comes like the baby rice cereal. And then after rice cereal comes like actual rice. And then after rice, you can actually eat like other things. And then finally, you can eat meat. Meat's like the last thing that you can eat because it's the hardest thing to process for our stomachs. And so that's um, two extremes. Like right now, we can only receive milk and we can only receive it because that's what we can understand and we can process. And we're not ready to receive nor bear the meat. 
of it. So, um, yeah. So number 23, learn of me and listen to my words. Walk in the meekness of my spirit and you shall have peace in me. I am Jesus Christ. I came by the will of the father and I do his will. And again, I command thee that thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor seek thy neighbor's life. And again, I command thee that thou shalt not covet thine own property, but impart it freely to the printing of the Book of Mormon, which contains the truth and the word of God, which is my word to the Gentile, that soon it may go to the Jew, of whom the Lamanites are a remnant, and they may believe the gospel, and look not for a Messiah to come who has already come. And again I command thee that thou shalt pray vocally as well as in thine heart, in thy heart, yea, before the world, as well as in secret, in public, as well as in private. And thou shalt declare glad tidings, yea, publish it upon the mountains and upon every high place and among every people that thou shalt be permitted to see. Okay, um, couple quotes from Elder Maxwell says, Ponder the Savior's precious words about atonement, about the atonement after he p- passed through it. There is no mention of the vinegar, no mention of the scourging, no mention of having been struck, no mention of having been spat upon. He does declare that he suffered both body and spirit in an exquisiteness which we simply cannot comprehend. No other man, however great his powers of physical or mental endurance, could have suffered so, for his human organism would have succumbed would have succumbed and the loss of blood to the brain would have produced unconsciousness and welcome oblivion. In that hour of anguish, Christ met and overcame all the horrors that Satan, the prince of this world, could inflict in some manner, actual and terribly really and terribly real, though to man incomprehensible, the Savior took upon himself the burden of the sins of mankind from Adam to the end of the world. Isn't that amazing? Um, Oh, just kidding. That was, I combined two quotes. One was Elder Maxwell and one was uh, James E. Talmadge. Um, And then as we study that section, this section 19, um, focus on the Savior's description of his suffering. But here is the context of why he taught these things to Martin. Um, Notice in verse 19, the Lord tells Martin, I partook and finished. And then you get a wherefore in verse 20. And he gives a list of commandments for Martin. Martin, be a finisher. Martin, be a finisher too. Verse 25, 20 to 25, speak directly to Martin and tell him things that he should do and not do. And then in verse 26, tells him, thou shalt not cover thine property, but impart it freely to the printing of the Book of Mormon. Christ's sacrifice, he partook and finished. So should Martin. He should not pull back. Martin needs to be willing to partake of whatever may come and then finish. Isn't that where we often pull back? When we get to the part where we will have to partake. I think this is interesting too, because it's so true. We get so excited. We're like all pumped at the beginning and we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like at the end, we're like, no, but for real, do we have to? <laughs> um, and that, I think that's how it works with our goals. Even, you know, we'll set goals and we're so excited and gung ho at the beginning. And then towards the end, we're like, yeah, oh, well, forget it. We, and so we're not finishers, but the Lord is a finisher and we want to be like him and we want to be finishers too. Um, and then elder Maxwell again says here, Jesus's few dozen words describing the agonies of the atonement reveal that he was determined that he 
not drink the bitter cup and shrink or pull back. Instead, submissive Christ reminded us that he both partook and finished. Each each act was so essential. No wonder Paul called Jesus the finisher of our faith. Love that. Okay, um, we're going to continue to 30, uh, verse 30. Um, and thou shalt do it with all humility, trusting in me, reviling not against revilers, and of tenants thou shalt not talk, but thou shalt declare repentance and faith on the Savior and remission of sins by baptism and by fire, yea, even the Holy Ghost. Tenants means opinion, dogma, doctrine of others. Okay. Behold, this is a great and the last commandment which I shall give unto you concerning this matter. For this shall suffice for thy daily walk, even unto the end of thy life. And misery shalt thou receive if thou wilt, if thou wilt slight these counsels, yea, even the destruction of thyself and property. Impart a portion of thy property, yea, even part of thy lands, and all save the support of thy family. Pay the debt thou hast contracted with the printer. Release thyself from bondage. Leave thy house and home except when thou shalt desire to see thy family, and speak freely to all, yea, preach, exhort, declare the truth, even with a loud voice, with a sound rejoicing, crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord God. Pray always, and I will pour out my spirit upon you, and great shall be your blessing, yea, even more than if you should obtain treasures of earth and corruptibleness to the extent thereof. Behold, canst thou read this without rejoicing and up and lifting up thy heart for gladness or canst thou run about longer as a blind guide or canst thou be humble and meek and conduct thyself wisely before me yea come unto me thy savior amen oh that's powerful right there um i really liked a couple parts in this um the thing that stands out to me here is verse 35 pay the debt thou can, thou hast contracted with the printer release thyself from from bondage. And there's a quote here from General Conference um, that I don't know who said it, but it says, it is not until verse 35 that the Lord answers Martin's original question. What about the mortgage? What do I do with it? The Lord responded, pay the debt thou hast contracted with a printer, release thyself from bondage. That's it. This was the answer Martin's to Martin's question. And it's a specific answer just for him, yet the principle of paying our debts and becoming free is of such great value. Using this scripture, President Faust, oh, President Faust, what's up, explained um, from General Conference, April 2004. Another vital message is that we be honest with the Lord, honest with ourselves, and honest with all others. We need to pay an honest tithe, live within our means, and save for a rainy day. Um Debt is bondage because the borrower is the servant of the lender. And I I love this. This was such a good reminder to me. I had been prompted to pay my tithing and I just, you know, haven't gotten around to it. It takes a minute to, you know, calculate it out and then uh, figure it out. So um, I went in and um, after reading these uh, these verses, I was like, yeah, I need to release myself from bondage because I've been in bondage from not being able to pay um, my tithing to the Lord. And it's his, it's his anyway, you know, all the things that we get are his because they come from him. Um, 
And as I was calculating, I realized that I hadn't paid tithing. Uh, so I pay tithing on my Etsy sales and then I pay tithing on my app sales. Um, and then I pay on social spinner app and then I pay tithing on the hourly uh, wage that I get from mustache power. So those are the three, um, areas that I'm responsible to pay tithing for. Right. And then, um, dad pays tithing for, um, his work and then our, our rental income anyway. So we pay tithing and I, in December, you know, we meet with the bishop and we tell him that we're full tithe payers if we're full tithe payers. But I hadn't, I mean, I thought that I was a full tithe payer. And so, yeah, I was like, yeah, I just probably need to submit my Etsy sales and uh, tithing and then I'll be good to go. So, yeah, I considered myself full tithe payer at the time. And so I went in and realized that I hadn't paid tithing since... I hadn't paid tithing for my Etsy sales for November or December or January or February. And then my app sales go back to about July. I hadn't paid since then. And as far as my mustache power uh, tithing, wow, I hadn't paid that all of 2020. I can't even believe that. I'd been being prompted to do to pay my tithing for so long that it, apparently it's been an entire year. And then I look back. 2020 and realized that that was such a blessing year for us, even though it was really hard for a lot of other people. That I got to be pregnant with Miss Flora. That literally the windows of heaven opened for us. And were poured out for us. And I hadn't even been paying my tithing. I hadn't been honest with the Lord. He's so good to us. You know, I just realized that the Lord is so merciful. And although I had been withholding my tithing from him, he didn't withhold blessings from us. He was willing to pay. He was willing to be patient and wait until I was ready to realize what I had realized. And it just goes to show, you know, the Lord, he's not trying to punish us. He's not vengeful. He's so kind and so merciful. You know, and he could have easily not blessed us with Flora. And it still would have been a good year for us, you know. I mean, yeah, we would have been in quarantine most of the time, but it still would have been a good year. And, you know, he talks about endless torment and things. And I don't think I was tormented for not paying my tithing. So, you know, he knows the desires of our heart. He knows us. He knows what we go through. And... I'm just so grateful that he is so loving and patient and merciful for to me. And I know that he is with each one of you as well. And we just, he gives us our time that we need to learn line upon line. And the, I don't, I don't feel tormented, um, but I do feel bad that I didn't, 
uh, that I wasn't honest, you know, and so this is my time to repent um, and to come unto him and just, you know, let him know how grateful I am for those blessings that that have come in our in that time that I wasn't honest with him and the time that I was um, in bondage, so to speak. And anyway, um, the Lord, he just wants us to to come unto him and to get to know him better because he really he really does love us. And with that, I just um, I just wanted to to share that 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 that's true, that I know that as we are patient or that as we learn we can come unto him and we can um know and learn things that are new about about him um as we continue on this this path and i leave that with you in the name of jesus christ amen and now i need to go get flora because she's crying she probably needs me to change her diaper bye